Welcome to Artistic Beginnings. I'm Mitch. And I'm Melody. We're siblings who grew up working in the entertainment industry and were deeply impacted by the arts. I'm a professional actor, singer, and dancer working in Los Angeles and New York, still pursuing an artistic career. I, on the other hand, am no longer pursuing that career. I went on to become a researcher, though I'm still involved in the creative industry. Artistic Beginnings is all about the winding artistic paths that creatives follow in their lives. We share these inspirational stories with you so that you can learn and grow as a creative. So, let's get into it. I learned this warm-up from Andrew Byrne, who is a wizard among wizards. It's a warm-up to help get your breathing in check. What he says is when we're stressed, it's often the breath is the first thing. It's often the out-breath, the exhalation, that we actually need more to increase the carbon dioxide in our brain, which apparently is what the brain loves, carbon dioxide, in order to make it function. So a great way to do that, and this is something you can do anywhere, literally anywhere, even if it's not a private space, is like a breathing exercise that alternates between nostrils. Okay, so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to take your finger, your right finger, and you're going to plug up your right nostril by just closing it. And then you're going to breathe in through your left nostril. So take a nice deep inhale through my left nostril, maybe for five seconds. And then I'm going to exhale through my right nostril. So I'm going to switch my hands. I'm going to close my left nostril and exhale through my right. So I've inhaled through my left, now I'm exhaling through my right, and then I'm going to inhale then again back through my right and exhale through my left. And so that's one cycle. So if you do these maybe 10 cycles, it starts to like really calm your brain and feel like you feel more confident, you feel more ready to take on the world. I sometimes feel more creative. I think it's a great one. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hi, welcome back. Glad to see you yeah, again. Hope everybody's had a good week. Staying cool because I feel like everywhere is very warm right now. Yeah, and staying safe. Still wear those masks, you know? Yes, please, and thank you. And if you're listening to this in the future, future where masks do not exist or don't, nope, not that they wouldn't exist, but we don't need them anymore to be safe, th- you can still wear one for like fashion. That would be cool. Why not? Make it a try. I think it's going to become a new norm. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's already it, yeah. technically a norm in like Japan and those kind of places. So it's not unusual. I'm here for it. Honestly, like the thought that somebody would wear a mask going out if they're feeling a little bit sick, like just that type of social consciousness is so wonderful. I think that's fabulous. And I think we all should do that. You know what I mean? Like it's just helping each other. And just being aware of your surroundings yeah. and caring for other people around you. Totally. Uh, yeah, is that it's a, too much a deep to respect ask? thing. <laughs> apparently <laughs> for some people maybe yeah uh, uh but anyways anyway. we're, we're here to talk about kyle yeah kyle branzell um he is absolutely incredible he wears lots of really cool hats and not like real ones like performer ones although he may wear cool hats too i'm honestly not really sure i feel like he's got a, a like a top hat in a bunch of his youtube videos so i'm sure he owns a couple okay. but you know like he does wear a lot of of good virtual hats not even virtual yeah. i mean i guess it is virtual <laughs> now that we're all doing stuff from home and he's probably oh, coaching true. from home yeah. uh but yes. yeah no kyle does a, a lot of great stuff he's both a performer but he also coaches a great deal and has some really cool content out there for uh performers and and people just like you yeah i mean i honestly couldn't think of a better introduction to kyle brands all than that so should we jump into the conversation do you want to talk a little more what do you want to do you want to jump in let's jump right in but also, let's let's also realize that in his in, intro bio, he says he he dislikes wearing real hats on his head. So <laughs> I love that we went down that path. 
Well, here, here's Kyle without a hat. Well, it all started in second grade. <laughs> and that, it's actually very true. I was chosen out of my entire second grade class to be Santa Claus in our class musical, our, our school musical, Santa Knows Best. Wow. Yeah, right. I know. Pretty big deal. It was nose in quotation marks. So it was K-N-O-W-S, but the N-O were in quotations because mm. the problem was he was an old softy. He had trouble saying no to the elves who were walking all over him. So the whole thing was about him going to like assertiveness training classes and standing up to the elves. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love so it. Silly. I would have never anticipated that. Yeah. I know, right? I still <laughs> to this day can sing some of the songs. They were just have been so ingrained in my memory. But it was... I was not expecting it. It was not something that I perhaps would have even auditioned for if there were auditions. It was just like, we heard you in music class and you can sing loud and on pitch. So you get the role. Oh, that's so accurate for elementary school. (laughs) Right, right. You got to go with what you have. And the people who show promise. So I did the show and on our one night only performance, you know, my family is like videotaping it. And I'll never forget, because my mom brings it up all the time, <laughs> that in this duet that we had on stage, me and Mrs. Claus, we were supposed to go, it was like one of these things where you're like, I sing a line, she sings a line, we sing together, I sing a line, she sings a line, we sing together. Well, for whatever reason, maybe nerves, she accidentally sang one of my lines that night. And I, you know, noticed it was happening in the moment. And I was like, oh, well, oh, she's singing my line. Okay, I'm not going to call attention to it because I don't want the audience to know that. So we just like sort of kept on going and I just like came in with my next line after that. Well, this like rocked my mother's world and my choir director's world. They both came up to me at the end. They were like, oh my God, that was so professional. I couldn't (laughs) believe you knew exactly what to do. And and for me, I was like, what was I going to do? Just like call, like shout up and down. She stole my line. Like that would have drawn more attention to it. So anyway, it, it feels like, you know, the instincts run deep in my soul. That's amazing. I mean, that is a hard skill to have, being aware that somebody's saying your line. I can't tell you how many kid performances you see. Kids just repeat the line over and over. <laughs> right. I guess you're right. I You know, it, maybe another kid would have done something different, but maybe that's how we knew that I was meant to be in the theater. Yes, honestly, I think that <laughs> is. Yeah. So did you continue pursuing it past that point? Was that the moment where you're like, oh, this is it? That was the spark. And then I I think I kind of didn't do anything for like three years in terms of theater. Mm -hmm. And then I grew up in Ohio and they had this great mailing list for like community theaters and and some regional theaters out there that you just came to your email inbox every week. And it had all these postings for auditions or if they were looking for designers or musicians or whatever. Oh, wow. And so I would, yeah, it was a great resource. And so I would, I was always scouring that and trying to figure out what the next thing was. And then the the next thing I did, well, not the next thing, but one of the biggest moments of my young artistic life was I did a show called The Will Rogers Follies, which is such a rare show that like, I feel like no one really does anymore. But it's great. It tells the story of Will Rogers, who was a sort of a motivational speaker of the day in the Great Depression era through the Ziegfeld Follies model which is like huge production numbers and costumes and dancing and singing and a huge chorus and so there was this it was a professional theater it was my first professional show 
it was all professionals except for the the kids. There were four kids who who played his his real life kids. So I went to audition for that. We drove thirty minutes away to go to Berea on the with now the Baldwin Wallace University stage, and I had to like audition. And I was me and my like little unchanged voice. You know, I was like my boy soprano voice, and the way my mom tells it is that she's sitting out in the lobby with all these stage parents who were like, oh my God, my little, my little son just did these three professional shows. And oh, we had so much fun doing this. And like, she was like, well, we haven't done anything. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And she she was like, I was expecting, you know, I was like, well, we don't have a chance in hell. I mean, all these people have done so many things. They're going to, they're going to get picked. And then we, they started matching us up based on height to sort of mm. test some of the kids out. And I kept getting put up there. And I didn't think of anything at the time. And then one day I got the phone call that I had been cast. And my mom, like, <laughs> considers this to be such, you know, triumph over adversity because <laughs> we beat all these kids. <laughs> it's very funny right. to hear it. So <laughs> but it was this amazing experience of being in this really slick professional show that to this day my family talks about because it was so just a cut above what I had been doing up until then Mm -hmm. and I I just sort of got this whiff of like wow not only do people do this thing but they do it professionally and it can be really really good and really fun and really rewarding so as they say the bug bit me hard yeah and the rest is history that's right so then I you know then I got into I sort of fell off the acting part I think it perhaps looking back on it had to do with me trying to figure out who I was, me being trying to be myself in Ohio, which at that time, you know, the part that I was from was rural and it was mm. tough to be myself growing up. So I think some part of me sort of retreated and I was like, well, I really love to play the piano. That's sort of an easier gig. <laughs> mm. You don't have to put yourself out there nearly as much. You don't have to go to all these auditions. You know, pianists seem to be in hot demand. So I started doing a lot of that and I really enjoyed that. And I would bring my friends in and we would play in the pits together. And it was just such a great time. And so then when I, it came time to figure out what I was going to do for college, I was like, well, I love my choir director at high school. She has really changed my life musically and given me a lot of opportunities. I think I want to become the next Lisa Manning and become a high school choir director. And so I went to, which is so such a noble job, by the way. I don't mean to minimize yeah. that in any way. So I went to Ithaca College for music education. And when I was there, I ended up switching to a double major for voice performance. So we were like studying a lot of like classical. It was, it was pretty much a classical program. Like the voice performance was to sing opera or sing that kind of stuff. Mm. And... I was always the person in my voice lesson trying to work on the musical theater song. <laughs> and I sort of, you know, my my sophomore year, we were in all of these really great music education classes where we were actually going to schools for elementary schools and we were like seeing it in the wild, like how it happened. And I was so thankful that I did because I was like, well, red flag. This is not what I want to be doing with <laughs> like, my life. This isn't for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I just have like a new appreciation for those people who, again, nobly going to these elementary schools and spreading the good word to these kids and finding these different ways into all of their learning styles and to how what their developments are at that stage. I mean, it's just it's so incredible what these people do. And all my friends, the, the people I'm spending all my time with are in the theater school. I seem to be like very gravitating towards theater. I just think I have to like be honest with myself and realize I want to be an actor. And for so long, I've thought I'm not good enough 
frankly, to be an actor. And I think it's time that I've got some voice training now. I think I'm ready to like try this. So I auditioned for Ithaca College's musical theater department, which is a great school for that, and did not get in because I could not act my way out of paper bag. I was like a floating (laughs) head. I was pretty bummed about that. I came home for a semester while I auditioned, didn't get into many colleges that I auditioned for for musical theater, but ended up getting into one school in Chicago called Roosevelt University and spent four more years in undergrad. So this is a total of six years in undergrad for little old me. And that was when I was like, yeah, this is what I'm meant to be doing. <laughs> this is what I want to be doing. I'm having so much fun learning about acting, et cetera, et cetera. So then I did what I advise people to do when they're thinking of moving to New York. I just did it. I just jumped in and took the plunge. Perhaps yep. it was my naivete because I didn't have any real money in the bank. I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't really have an apartment, things like that. But these things have a funny way of working themselves out when it's your only option. You know, like I just moved here. So it's like, okay, you either sink or swim. And it was real hard for the first, especially the first month. I mean, I was just like so swallowed and every month thereafter became a little easier. And I like knew a little bit more about the business. And I like knew a little bit more about how to organize my life so that I was doing the things I wanted to be doing and showing up how I wanted to show up. And then eventually I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is the city that I've been living in now for a year. And I feel like it's really my city. I feel like I'm actually starting to conquer the city as well. I always feel like New York is like such a great training ground for life. It feels like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how your day was. It doesn't matter if you are deathly ill or, you know, you've just had the day from hell or your significant other just broke up with you. You still have to find a way to make it to the top of the subway stairs (laughs) after you get off the train. No, it's true. I mean, I feel like if you can survive in New York, you can survive anywhere. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. And some days just trying to walk up the subway steps is like the hardest thing you'll ever do. But then once yeah. you do it, you conquer it. And it's like, I've, I'm that much stronger because I had to go through that. So I feel like New York has made me into a very strong person. And that's when I started to like really pursue this thing. I, I mean, I was going to all sorts of auditions. Eventually, I auditioned for this show called Murder for Two. That is a two-man musical. And I ended up getting it. I, I, was, I auditioned for the off-Broadway production, but then it ended up closing and going on tour. So I came on as an understudy to the writer, Joe Kanosian, who was doing the role. I don't know if either of you have seen Murder for Two. It is the most hilarious thing that's ever been written, but it's also the zaniest and the most physically demanding and vocally demanding. I mean, the other guy plays one character, the detective of the murder mystery. And then my character was actually 12 different characters. It was such a great concept. And we changed them on a dime. So we didn't have costumes or anything like that. It was like my body and my voice was the only device I had to let the audience know who I was being. And sometimes within the same song, you would change like 20 times. It was just such a great conceit for a show. That must have been so fun. (laughs) Oh my God. Ridiculous. Exhausting, but fun. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, when I saw the show, I I ended up seeing it in Chicago when I was going to school there. They did a a long run at Chicago Shakespeare. And since they play the piano in the show, I forgot to mention that fun little fact. They both play the piano for each other and with each other. I was watching this show and I was like, wait a minute oh my God, someone finally wrote a show for me. I was like, this is all of my... <laughs> like, these are all of my, my skills. skills. Yeah. So I had been on my radar for so long. It was so fun and wonderful. And Joe, the writer, and Kellen, the two writers were so great. And 
we everyone was like very about us making our own interpretation of the show they were like don't just copy what you see you know this is a chance to flesh out these characters for you and i was like yes love that's amazing so then two months into it i mean we had known this from the start but joe left the tour so i was the heir apparent and i sort of ascended to to the role and that my friends is when (laughs) i was like oh this is what it means to be a professional actor because when you you don't want to get up there <laughs> because you are tired because you've just done this seven times this week and it's the eighth show and you have to go from the bottom of your range to the top of your range and scream all over the stage and be uh, one of the characters was a ballet dancer so I had to like literally oh, do wow. like a dream ballet in the middle of it it forces you to grow up it forces you to be like I have to be a professional now whether I want to be or not people are paying money it's not just like I can be like sorry right so I always say that I grew up on that tour because (laughs) I feel like I started as a child and I ended as a a man how long were you on that tour oh gosh I think I was on it for six months yeah we it was kind of great I mean I still felt like I was like I know what it means to be Elphaba now (laughs) because I could not talk I could not phonate on Mondays I would have to remain completely silent Mm. so that I could build up my stamina or my vocal dollars again for the week ahead of me. And in fact, Jeff Blumenkrantz, who played the role off-Broadway, I met him right before I did the show. And I was like, I'm going to be the new suspect in Murder for Two. And he was like, oh, good luck. And I was like, wait, what are you talking (laughs) about? That's exactly what you want to (laughs) hear. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I couldn't talk. I couldn't drink. I couldn't go out. Like, I (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those roles where you have to just completely that is your life. (laughs) Yeah. So I I was doing that at a couple of places regionally and doing some other shows, you know, here and there when it would go my way. And then cut to two summers ago. So not this past summer, but the summer before that. And I was doing Murder for Two again at a theater that shall forever remain nameless. <laughs> but rhymes with... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Rhymes with theater. It has theater in the title. Great. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And I was doing Murder for Two, my favorite show to do. And, you know, we had three weeks for the rehearsal process, which is a long time in regional theater. And especially for a show that both me and my scene partner, we had done it separately, but not together. And so we both knew it like the back of our hand. I mean, I had done it on tour and regionally. So it was like, I knew these words, but I love to rehearse and I love to reinvent and craft our own show. And I wanted to like sort of reinvestigate these characters from the ground up. And I was like really jazzed about it. So we start the rehearsal process and I am, you know, doing my thing and sweating through my rehearsal outfit. (laughs) And I look out into the audience that are, you know, our fake audience because it was just the director and the director is sleeping <gasps> and I not just like shutting his eyes like like asleep like doubled over onto himself and oh, like passed out <laughs> my god and I was like wow this is really humiliating this is demeaning I mean like I hope he's okay like what am I supposed to do so I like kept going you know you taught never stop keep going until it doesn't right. as you. so we were going and and then he would wake up in the middle of things like usually on a punchline he would wake up <laughs> laughing <laughs> <laughs> amazing as as wow. if 
as if that was like covering the fact that he had been sleeping. Like, I think he thought he was really <laughs> pulling one over on us. But like the show is such that we're talking to the audience for some of it. Like the audience mm-hmm. is very much a part of the fabric of our show. So it's not like one of these things where we're just so engaged with each other on stage that I don't even know right. what it's doing. Like the audience is part of the scene. So, oh my God. So I, you know, I had a talk with my co-star after that rehearsal and I was like, did you notice this? And he was like, yeah, what are we supposed to do about that? Right. And I was like, yeah. well, you know, maybe he had a rough night. Let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Very kind of you. Yes, thank you. I'm very kind. So we come back next couple rehearsals and same thing. And it gets oh. to the point where I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? It's not for me. Like I I, you know, I of course I'm finding new things every moment, but I don't know if they're working because I don't have any feedback on the other side. Right. And thank God, my friend Joshua Zechariah, who's an amazing music director, he was music directing and he literally, we would be like, does this look good? Oh, oh, you're sleeping. Okay, uh, Josh, do you think this looks good? <laughs> and he'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, it looks oh really good. God. Or like, you know, like, why don't you try this? Yeah, so thank God he was there. So after a couple of days, I was like, this is becoming a habit. This is every day now. We have to fix this. So <clears throat> I talked to our stage manager and who is, you know, the person tasked with keeping us safe and healthy, mm-hmm. healthy, healthy in rehearsal. And I was like, hey, do you know that our director is falling asleep? <laughs> and he mm-hmm. was like, yeah. Oh, my God. I know. Right. And we we're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a problem. And he's like, oh, I know. But, but like, what can you do? <laughs> and I was like, no, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not your the job. right response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was, of course, very nice because I consider myself a very magnanimous person. And I was like, well, can you please talk to him? <laughs> like, uh, right. this has re- reached a fever pitch. You need to talk to him. So he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Great. So he comes back the next day and we're there before the director got there. And he goes, just so you know, guys, I talked to the director and we were like, oh, my God, thank you so much. He's like, yep, I told him. I told him everything. I told him that you guys caught him sleeping and you guys were mad. <gasps> I was like, what? No, no, that's not what I said. Yeah. And and like, above all, you could have been like, as the professional, you know, equity stage manager in charge with keeping everyone's energy. So, but he didn't. Wow. And so we were kind of nervous about what was going to happen with the director walking in. But, you know, this man is a sweet man. So he walked in and he sort of had his tail between his legs and he was like, so, you know, I heard that you guys caught me dozing a couple of times and my co-star goes a couple of times <laughs> and I was like, like, oh, dozing like, <laughs> you were full on asleep sir <laughs> yeah, yeah right but he was like yeah oh sorry you know I have sleep apnea and it is very difficult for me to get sleep and so sometimes even though it looks like I am sleeping I am simply resting my eyes and I still hear everything so even mm-hmm. though if my eyes are closed, I still hear everything. And I was like, oh, well, that makes me feel bad. You know, this guy has sleep apnea. Something's going wrong. It still really sucks. I, I hate that. And I wish they were right. different. But, you know, at least he levels with us. Well, we come to find out throughout the course of the rest of this rehearsal process that it was not sleep apnea. And unfortunately, it was alcoholism that was making this happen. And I don't want to begrudge anyone for that. I don't, I don't want to make light of that because alcoholism is a disease and it is you know something yeah. that often you cannot control so that is not is not a, a shaming moment no. but you know we started to piece together from seeing in his car empty beer cans and mouthwash like conveniently stashed and he 
spent the, the final dress rehearsal and the final preview, he sat backstage <laughs> to quote unquote hear what the actors heard. Meanwhile, we never go off stage. So I was like, what are you what do you mean? Right. Yeah. And <laughs> instead he wanted to drink from a, a cooler that he had brought with ice and vodka. And I mean, when, when I tell you he was wow. so lit by the end of it, I mean, he came up to us at the end and was red in the face and slurring his words. And it was really sad to see this, this happen. And to top it off, this was like, I mentioned the final preview. So we were getting ready to like do the thing for real. And I had always been like, well, mm-hmm. as soon as this is over, it's just going to be me and the audience and my co-star. And this is the thing that I love to do. So I'm going to have a great time. Right. Well, I started to get hurt. I like strained my shoulder doing the intense physicality of the show and I just want to point out that I knew this was going to happen because it's a physical show. And I had asked for physical therapy, which is a very reasonable request. Yeah. And yeah. the theater was, they were so adamant about not giving it to me because that would mean they would have to have the other guy have that, which is like, yeah, we deserve this. And I'm having right. more physical track. Anyway, so it turned out that I hurt myself on the job, which then became a workers' comp claim, which then they had to pay for anyway. So I got all this physical therapy anyway, but it was like, at what cost? So anyway, then we opened the thing and I'm, I remember, I'll never forget this moment because I was sitting there stretching. I was in pigeon pose (laughs) and I was like staring down at eight to a week and then like a four week or five or six week run, however long it was. And I was like, is this what I am meant to be doing for the rest of my life? Like, am I to pick up and leave my friends, my clients, my life in New York every time I want to work? Am I to then go to this theater company that really, really doesn't appreciate the the hard work that I'm putting into this is that like sort of my life's goal. And then at the same time, I was like, wait a minute, silly, you've always wanted to be on the other side of this thing. Like, I, I can remember when I was young, directing my <laughs> cousins at our family parties in plays that we would do, that we would just like put up. Oh, I love those. <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. like every every theater kid for sure definitely did that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and not to mention that I had all this time been really thriving in my coaching business and I've been really enjoying mm. helping other people achieve what they want to achieve. So I had this giant light bulb appear over my head and I was like oh you should just quit <laughs> and then I was like well wait <laughs> yeah. a minute that's horrible like what are you saying winners winners never quit you, you just finish everything you started you know quitting is for losers and I at the time was taking the the summer program that Jen Waldman at the Jen Waldman studio which is called the reboot program which is specifically for people looking to make big changes in their career looking to level up in some ways and prior to this revelation I had been using my time in this thing to like get my headshots ready and my resume and my website and stuff like that well in this moment of crystalline clarity I was like oh my god this is the perfect time to actually make this leap because I have Jen holding my hand every step of the way. She's literally done this exact thing. She started as an actor, became a director and coach, and you know, it's now only exclusively that. Mm-hmm. She's the perfect person to talk to. And as it turns out, she was. I mean, she's just the perfect person to talk to a lot, about a lot of things. But yes. she <laughs> like helped me into this the beginning of the rest of my life, which I have not acted since that show. 
And I'm also, by the way, very aware that this was a extenuating circumstance, that this is not how a lot of, I mean, I'm sure we could pull the wool back and see examples of mistreatment on the regional circuit, but yes, (laughs) there's plenty. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. I mean, having an alcoholic director who falls asleep is not something, you know, that typically happens. So I'm aware that this is like, you know, very different than a lot of people's trajectories. And I was so touched by this book, The Dip by Seth Godin, which reframes quitting for people. It says to people, if you are still of this mindset that you have to complete 100% of the things that you started. I mean, think about the implications of that. You started drawings in fourth grade that you didn't finish. Like, who cares? It doesn't matter where you start or whether you finish that thing. What matters is, are you doing something that is fulfilling to you in every day? And if the answer is no, you know, you only have so many hours in the day. You only have so many years to live. Why would you waste your time doing something that not just you don't like, but actually you actively dislike that hurts you to do? And I, as it turned out, was doing a lot of those kind of things. I played the piano. I was playing for all sorts of classes that I did not believe in because the fundamental messages of the classes I felt were actually hurting the actors that they aimed to help. So I got this whole new like life to start quitting things. <laughs> and it became my favorite thing to say, I quit. And the point is not like, what can you quit in your life because it's just too hard for you? There's a very clear distinction in the book between quitting because you can't hack it, which is what a lot of people do. And of course, it's to be expected because this business is very terrible, not terrible, (laughs) terrifying. And really, you know, just ask a lot of you, but quitting with purpose and quitting with a clear intention in mind. Like it wasn't just, I'm going to quit. I don't know what I'm going to do. I hope some, I hope the universe picks me up. I want to be a coach. I want to be a director. I'm going to now put all of the effort that I had wasting, for my estimate, wasting putting into those other endeavors I didn't really want to be doing. I'm going to put 100% of that now into this new life, knowing that even if I, you know, even one client a day makes me infinitely happier than I feel like I'm useful. You know, I feel like I'm not simply a cog in a wheel. Anyway, I I always want to, you know, make the point after I talk about quitting (laughs) that Mm -hmm. acting to me is so incredibly needed. And we need these people to be incredible actors on stage and to do the HO Week thing. And a lot of people actually really like the HO Week stability. So I'm I'm not here. I'm not trying to say in any way that like you should quit acting. <laughs> if it, that has been nagging in your head or you, you're, you know, you can substitute acting for your nine to five job or your other job that you do or, or your other hobbies that you have. If that thing is nagging at you in the back of your mind and saying, you should quit, you should quit, you should do this instead, you should do this instead. You can choose to ignore that. That's totally fine. But that voice is going to get louder and louder and louder. Mm. until one day you're going to have a moment where I did where you're going to be like oh oh my god I'm in the wrong career path (laughs) so I say listen to your heart life is too short to be wasting it on things you don't want to be doing yeah that's a a sentiment we've hear we've heard a couple times on the show where it's kind of like if there's something that is drawing you in a different path it's not necessarily even thinking of it as quitting or giving up on something it's deciding to go on a new path that is more suited for what you're actually wanting to do yeah Uh, i think it's a, a great kind of message yes we see this all the time in business if businesses had to finish 100 percent of what they started they would literally tank this is why we see apple shifting you know they started as the iphone company it was all about the Mm -hmm. iphone for them and then somewhere along the, the way, they got the message through market research that 
people were not buying iPhones in droves like they had done before. It was not like everyone needed to have the new iPhone every year, partly because the prices were so freaking high. But <laughs> You know, right. they, they saw, wait a minute, this isn't working. This isn't getting our company to where we need to be. This isn't letting us scale our impact. So they, you could say they quit their primary business model being iPhones. They still do iPhones, of course, but they have now really shifted into the services arena. So now they're looking for ways to get that monthly subscription fee from you. You know, they have right. Apple News and Apple Music and all of these new things Apple that are popping TV. up. Yeah. Apple TV, exactly. So that is, and, and Seth Godin, who wrote the book, The Dip, is very business-minded. And so it feels really useful to hear that this actually is commonplace in the world of business. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting because people uh, as individuals really should consider a decent amount of their work and the way that they provide for themselves and lead their lives in a business sense, because there is a lot more positivity in that idea of quitting. And in business, they're calling they call it a pivot, right? It's just a yeah. shift rather than completely giving up on something. It's still moving forward. It's not going backwards and restarting on a new path. Yeah, Mitch is a perfect example. He started in theater. He's not doing it anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and yet, yeah. and yet, I'm sure you would agree that those theater skills that you learned are endlessly applicable to your real life. Like oh, theater skills are so universal. It's not just like how to sing, how to act. It's like working with people, teamwork, you know, collaborate, all this, all this stuff that we love. And I also just want to point out something that you said, people have said to me ever since I made this big leap, oh, you'll be back. I'm sure you'll be back one day. And for me, it's like, while, while I am very happy now, never acting again, I always know that in the back of my mind, one day I might miss it. And on that day, I maybe I'll go audition for something. But until then, I'm going to keep following my heart. Right. It's always there. Exactly right. So the quitting or pivoting doesn't have to be a permanent choice. Yeah. And I, I love, I was looking at your your website and all of your resources, which are, are really incredible. I love all the stuff that you've put together and all, all of the books. I, I'm like, I, I've either read them and I'm big fans of them or I'm going to add them to my list. Mm -hmm. So uh, oh, I'm wow. super excited about that. But one thing I also noticed was your In a Nutshell series. Oh, I love those. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's a great kind of melding of your, your performing aspect and then your coaching skills and your mission to kind of help others in that kind of way. I'd love love to hear kind of how In a Nutshell came to be. Well, thank you so much. That is so nice of you to say. First and foremost, I, that makes me so happy that it's reaching people. In a Nutshell with Kyle Branzell is my weekly, well, it used to be a weekly video series of five-minute videos in which I unpack things that will help actors in the audition room. And the goal is like we pack a punch in the five minutes to like really pack it with as much information as possible while still in sort of an edutainment model, education through entertainment. So that was born from quitting. <laughs> that was what Jen had suggested that I start putting my efforts into. And this is sort of a Seth Godin-ism as well. The idea is that if you're going to charge a lot of money for something, which you should, if it is valuable, you need to figure out what you're going to give away for free in order to show people that it will be worth it when they purchase you, <laughs> to, to say it like that. By the way, what I'm not doing is giving away free coaching because coachings are what I charge money for. That is the thing that I don't give away for free. That's what you have to pay me for. But I'm happy to give blanket statements about things that everyone can apply right now because it shows you, first of all, what I have to offer. So you can sort of test drive my personality and see if I'm someone that you would want to work with. 
it shows you what I know. And it's also a way to be generous to the community that you're asking to be generous with you. You know, it's a way to, to first be like, here's something totally free, no strings attached that you can use, whether or not you hire me. And if you like what you see, come hire me. <laughs> and as it turns out, that's exactly what happened. I mean, it was crazy. I had never, ever thought to give anything away for free prior to this because I was taught that I was a trained musician and that I was supposed to be paid for my work. And that is true. You should always figure out what that thing is that people are willing to pay a premium for because a, a girl's got to eat, you know what I mean? But also, how will they know about you if you just bury your head in the sand? So anyway, that was one of my initiatives. And as someone who never posts on social media ever. It was a great way to actually have something to post that didn't just feel like me, you guys, look at me and what I'm doing. It's right. like, here's something for you, you know? Mm. I did want to know, for somebody that's just kind of starting out and want to get access to these bite-sized tricks and tips that, that you put together, what, what's a good one to start off with, would you say? Ooh, good question. I think it depends on what the gap in your skill set are. I think it's about like identifying what you actually need help with because everyone is different. Like some people sound great on pop rock material. Some people are like, what is pop rock? <laughs> if you have no pop rock experience, I did a whole, that was actually my first four videos were on pop rock vocalism. So then there's stuff about audition, like accompanist communication. So how do I set up a song with the accompanist? There's things about craft, like how can I use what's on the page, like the punctuation marks or the musical given circumstances, things that are deep within the score that I can use as an actor to extrapolate on and to build my whole role on. So I'm trying to think of like if I had a favorite episode. I really think that the punctuation is something that is so kind of on its face like, oh, punctuation, how exciting. But it right. has really like changed my life in terms of like how I digest material. So I would take a look at the punctuation episode. <laughs> we'll link that one in the show notes. Hey everyone, just wanted to pop in before our final questions to let you know where you can find Kyle. You can find him on his website, www.kylebrenzel.com. That's where all of the incredible resources that we were talking about, including In a Nutshell, his coachings, teaching, all about him. That's your one-stop shop for Kyle Branzel. And if you want to find him on Instagram, it's um, Idina Branzel, I'm pretty sure. It is. <laughs> At Idina Branzel. Yep. Yes. <laughs> So why don't we jump into final questions? Ready, Mitch? Let's do it. So to start us off, what is the hardest thing about pursuing the arts? I think there are two. One is that not a single person is banging down your door, begging you to do that thing. Like no one is asking me, please, please direct this. I mean, eventually one day, maybe if I'm the best in the world in their mind. And it's like, you have to be a self-starter. So this idea that there's no game plan, there's no path, there's no like X leads to Y, which leads to Z. Every single person has to forge their own path. And then the thing that is wrapped up in that, which is number two, is that there's no correct way. I'm a person who loves a binary choice, a right or wrong. <laughs> like, this is how you do it. This is not how you do it. But art is so subjective and acting and singing are so subjective and dancing. So the fact that there's no blueprint, Jen at the studio says all the time, we spend all of our lives in the corporate, trying to adhere to the corporate structure, which is climbing the ladder. I have to go one rung at a time and I have to put in my dues so that eventually I can be on the top of the ladder. 
And what she says is we see all the time in this business, people saying, screw the ladder. I'm going to build myself a trampoline and I'm going to get to the top of the mountain faster than anyone. I don't have to put in any of my dues. I mean, the, the kid who was cast in Dear Evan Hansen from the Jimmy Awards did not have to put in his dues. Yep. <laughs> and, or, uh, and any of the stunt casting that's gone into any show ever. <laughs> Yes, exactly. We are in a business that you all you have to do is be at the right place at the right time and have a hell of a lot of skill and it could jettison your career overnight. So that is both comforting and hard to wrap your mind around. Well, if only someone could give me the map, I could just follow the map. <laughs> and also it can it can be very like you that can set a lot of people free, like thinking outside oh, the box. Totally. And yeah. Totally. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, so next question. What is your favorite piece of art right now? Wow, that's a good question. I'm a lot of different things come to mind. One is RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's my favorite show on television and it seems to get better every 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 season in terms it of It does. the talent level and 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 the wherewithal of these people, these incredible performers who are you know, we have it kind of easy. We show up and someone gives us a script and the costumes and directs us. These people have to come up with it all. I mean, talk about your your artists through and through, your performance artists. These are people who have to sew their own costumes in many cases and write their own material and direct themselves and book their own gigs and get themselves there sometimes. You know, it's like... Yeah. And to top it off, it's not easy living in America as a drag queen, constantly getting, you know being mm-hmm. the other to everyone else. So the so many of them have these incredible, challenging life stories that have made them into the people that they are. So I find that to be endlessly entertaining. I'm also, the, the last show that I saw, or one of the last shows that I saw was Hadestown. And, us too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, us <laughs> oh, really? too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was really great. It is totally my kind of theater. It's so poetic and sort of nonlinear and abstract. And yeah. Some people hate that about it, and I love it. <laughs> it's not a show for everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. It definitely was a show for me, though. <laughs> All right, so going down that that track of of darkness that Town has. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, oh, good what, job, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Mm, wow. The coronavirus certainly has been a scary thing in the back of my mind. You know, yeah. the unknown, the fact that I'm currently right now in the world epicenter, New York City, for the outbreak. Yep. So lately, that has been really on my mind. In fact, I had a directing job lined up for the summer. You know, it got canceled two days ago. And mm. I, you know, I had been preparing this whole time for it to be canceled. But I really wanted to just like hold out for a hero. Of course, I, you know, I had, like I said, I had been in the back of my mind that this is going to be happening. It's just like when you hear that from from the horse's mouth, it it hurts. <clears throat> so let me think of a better answer. Well, that's an exceptionally true one that I think a lot of us are really relating yeah, to, right, right, particularly right, right. in this time. Right. Okay. Well, then maybe I'll stick with that. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's always like, it also always, as, as a freelancer, as someone who is in charge of my own schedule and my own hustling and marketing and putting on the show myself, it feels, you know, that's something that when there is uncertainty in not having a, you know, a steady gig lined up, that sometimes feel like it, it creeps into my brain. 
and yet it's amazing how those kind of things really light a fire under your ass and force you to like go looking for things that you could be doing and totally. creating your own work. So definitely just the, the unknown. Yeah. <laughs> Into the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> Into the unknown. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's so true. Yeah. All right. Our final question for you. What one piece of advice would you give someone who wants to pursue the arts? Technique. That's what I would say. I think that there's an overwhelming lack of technique, especially in our art form that feels like it's an amalgamation of so many different art forms rolled into one. I mean, the musical theater is, there's so many different disciplines, not just acting, not just singing, not just dancing, but improvisation and physical tricks that you can do and becoming the character and learning about the world of that play and there also is no denying the fact that rehearsal processes are getting shorter and shorter and budgets are getting smaller and smaller which means that there's not enough time usually for micromanagement on in the world of the director meaning to tell someone to go stand and to do this exact thing it really requires that the actor bring something to the table and why would you want to be that kind of actor anyway? I mean, we get we get so few choices as an actor. The choices that we can make are what we bring to the material and, you know, our own stamp on it. So I feel like that is sort of the goal is to be in a place where you are free to make choices that express who you are and what you're all about. And the way that you're free to make these choices is through a solid technique. And it's tough to see the training programs, the plentiful BFA market are just turning out so many actors per year. I mean, more than could ever fit on one Broadway stage at a time. And each school is pushing that many people out every day. And what they're not doing is taking the time and emotional labor required to make sure that they're teaching skills that are useful, not just in this moment, but in all pursuits that are actually teaching them competitive skills that will make them competitive in the market. So I, I, I know that personally, when I am against an impossible task or some impossible art that I have to create, I am constantly looking to what have I learned? What are the skills? What are the repeatable techniques that I can re- apply in this situation? And when I started in New York City, I my bag of tricks was very small. It was like, you know, maybe two tricks. <laughs> And day by day, hour by hour, week by week, the more I, I was, you know, I'm, I call myself a studio rat. I'm like always at when I was studying this with Jen, I was always at the studio. I was always taking class every single month. And simply by forcing myself to get better, I look back one day and I'm like, oh, my God, I have all of these new skills that I can point to that I can actually be like, I don't know what to do in this moment. Let me try to apply viewpoints, for instance. And suddenly the world is wide open. So I think that that is what is really missing from a lot of people's equation is a solid rock steady technique. If you're only putting your time, money, and energy into taking classes that are putting you in front of faces who are trying to connect you and make relationships happen, that is your choice. And that is something that potentially could go well for some people if you're really diligent about researching who this person is. And if you want to work on the skills that are going to make you shine in front of the people that it counts to shine in front of, you have to work on technique. There's, there's audition technique, and then there's 
acting technique, and then there's singing technique, and then there's dancing technique, and there's script analysis technique. So that's why JWS is a great place because it's like the one-stop shop for technique. We don't do pay-to-play classes where you're the, the promise is hopefully you'll get an agent out of this because that's not what we're about. Some people are about that and that, you know, we need sometimes those people in our lives. And if you, again, if you find the perfect place that is really, you've done the detailed work to figure out, is this actually something that's going to help me in my career? Or is this going to help me lay the seed of relationship? Then by all means do it. And if what you want is to work on your craft, then you need to make that shift in your mind. Hey, thanks for listening. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, www.artisticpodcast.com. If you liked the episode, do us a favor and share it with a friend. It's the best way to help people find our podcast and will help support the show. For updates on new episodes and content, you can follow us at The Artistic Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. See ya. I love hats. I don't I don't know what... Uh... Kyle's deal about hats is though. I don't know. Maybe he, maybe they squish, it squishes his hair. Maybe his head doesn't feel comfy in hats. I mean, I get that. I also am a big hat advocate. I enjoy a good baseball cap. I have a lot of them. And I also don't mean this in a mean way, but he definitely strikes me as the guy that would pull off the saying, m'lady. M'lady. 100%. Like in a top hat. Tipping his hat. Yeah. I swear to God, if Kyle Branzell in a suit and top hat said milady to me i would be so happy like that would be perfect that's perfect that would be perfect okay it's up to you kyle if you make it this far into the episode <laughs> i want to see a gif of you wearing a hat saying milady perfect